All right, welcome everybody back to the Curvy Geeky Fangirl Podcast. Basically, this is also known as the CGF Recaps. Usually I use this time to recap any of the TV shows or films that I've caught during the week that have striked this girl's geek fancy. Uh, It's been a minute. Oh, it's been a long minute since I've done anything. To my defense, it is the end of the summer right before the fall season kicks off, so there's nothing really on TV. But something dropped on TV this week, and that is why I am back. So, uh, real quick, I am Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and as always, you can find me at curvygeekyfangirl.com. I'm all over the socials, Instagram, Twitter, pretty much those two, <laughs> under Curvy Geeky Fangirl. You can also find this podcast through a lot of podcast platforms now. So you can check me out on the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, I think there's Google Podcasts now. That's a thing that's happened. Spotify. Yo, your girl is flexing. So check them out. Rate and review. Comment and subscribe. All of the likes if you can. Let me know what's going on. How you guys feel about the podcast. It's really, really helpful if you get the chance to do so. Uh, so this week, I'm going to be touching on not a lot of whole, not a whole lot of shows. The bulk of this is going to be my review on the recent Netflix drop, and that is Iron Fist Season 2. If you know or have listened to any of my previous podcasts where I've touched on Iron Fist, you know my feelings on Iron Fist. And in case you haven't, because it's been a hot minute, I didn't like Iron Fist Season 1. I had a lot of feelings about Iron Fist Season 1. It was a garbage trash can fire. It was, it was not good. It was not good. So... I surprised myself by actually sticking it out and watching the whole of season two. I didn't even finish season one. That's how bad it was. But I've got some feelings on Iron Fist season two. Not all bad. Not all good. But you know, it's a work in progress together. It's a work in progress with each other. Um, I'm also going to be talking uh, or catching up with My Hero Academia, which is a show I've been watching and to its credit, has been pretty steady. They've, we've had a couple of like fan servicey episodes, uh, different some definitive tie-in episodes to the film that's coming out later in September. So excited! I'm gonna try to figure out a way to watch this. Even though you guys, I'm an old person, and I don't like going out to events in the midweek, like like during a work week, because I have to work ridiculously early in the morning. And I'm not a spring chicken. I can't I can't do the out till 4 a.m., get two hours of sleep, and go right back out for work. It, I will die. So um, this movie, the uh, My Hero Academia movie, is going to come out like on a Tuesday out here in the DMV area where I'm at. But, you know, and I don't know when it's dropping. If it's like a, an early-ish showing, like a 7, 7.30, even an 8 o'clock. I'll check it out. But if it's like a midnight viewing, I'll I'll catch it on a DVD. Or, see, DVD. I don't even own a DVD player anymore. A streaming service of some sort. Hopefully, we'll put it out there. And I'll watch it that way. So, that'll be the deal. Um, I'm also going to quickly fill you in on what I have been watching. Not necessarily geek related. uh, In the downtime, since we haven't had too many shows coming out. And that's going to include Insecure and Pose, Pose especially, (gasps) my feelings about Pose. I've been watching Power, this this season has not wowed 
at all. It's been like a struggle for me to keep up with power. So I'm not going to really talk about it because it's been dumb. It's dumb. It's just been not great. So, um, but, um, but definitely insecure. I'm going to get into and Iron Fist for sure. So as you guys know, or if you haven't listened to this before, I go heavy into the spoilers, big time spoilers. I try to do like a non-spoiler feelings review and then jump into the spoilers afterwards just in case but i am infamous for not remembering to let you guys know that i'm jumping into the spoiler part of it and just rolling right into it i'm gonna try my best but just for everybody's sake if you haven't seen any of the shows that i'm talking about tonight and you want to watch it before you jump into the discussion please watch the shows catch up and then join us and listen in. So that's what's going down. We are going to kick it off with My Hero Academia first, right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, so jumping into My Hero Academia, I just watched the latest episode. I'm not sure where I left things off for my break, because I think it's been like a two, three, maybe a full month break. Uh, but basically, uh, I want to say we at least hit the training before my break. Uh, and basically, it was, you know, all of, oh gosh, what's the name of their school? Not All Might High, that's not what it's called. You, Hero Academia? UA, oh my gosh, oh gosh, okay, so UA, UA High, <laughs> the whole team of UA High was getting ready to go and get do the licensing exam so that they become, I don't even know if they're actual pro heroes with this license or if they just have the licensing and then go forward to develop into further skills for their professional career, but there was a licensing exam that happened. So it was all of the team UA going and we got little side stories here and there from the different groups, which I appreciated because in the manga, we did not get that at all. It was mostly focused around Deku and um, occasionally we got maybe a Todoroki shout out, occasionally a Bakugo situation, but not too much of anybody else. We got a whole little side story with Momo and her group and seeing how they were able to transition into a win for that side. And then of course, everybody else, uh, all of team, or should all of UA High, who went out for the licensing exam, uh, made it to the second round of the exam itself. And that was when it was more like hands-on approach. Well, it's been hands-on approach this entire time, but they weren't facing off against other students. So this time they were doing like rescue and retrieve type of mission. Like after the fallout from the fighting, this is what heroes have to do in the aftermath until the EMTs can get here, the ambulances can get here. So they're looking for uh, people who have survived the aftermath, anybody that's hurt, anybody that, you know, is lost or confused as to what's going on and try to direct them in a helpful way. And then we also got to see them face off against a major villain. And this time it was a pro, a pro, a hero pro called Orca. Orca, is it giant Orca or black Orca? I think it's just Orca. So Orca, uh, I can't not, I'm not gonna lie. The way they have him 
drawn and designed. And it, I'm sure it's purposeful. That tie he's got, that, that looks like it's right below his mouth. It turns out that's not, it's his neck. It looks like a tongue. So the whole image gives you the an, an idea of like an open mouth orca, just walking around, doing things. I love that his abilities are very much stemmed from the actual animal. So he's got like sound wave ability and he can knock people out by force. He can make them, um, almost like a petrified state, he can he can freeze them basically by using these shocks. And you see him using it and you see him and his little, they're not cronies per se, like henchmen, helpers, also all going out. And you see them going, they're going in on these kids. They're really trying to see like what these kids can do. And we get a nice little side bit with Todoroki facing off against uh, the wind guy. I'm gonna look up his name. This wind guy is my favorite. He is so outlandish and crazy. And we finally get the story as to why he is the way he is when it comes to Todoroki himself. And that's because he's got history with Todoroki. Apparently this kid also went out for UA and managed, he like finished first when he was going against the trials for that. But because of um, Todoroki's stony experience the entire time, we find, Inasa, is that his name? Not gonna look it up even more. Um, yeah, but because of uh, Todoroki's already, it's not that he is anti-people, he kind of is, but he was going through something. So we all know that Todoroki has dad issues. And it was, of course, it was right when school started, so it was the height of his dad issues and him trying to figure out what it means to be his own hero and all of that. And this, this guy, Inasa Yorashi, who's wind, he's just a wind dude all over the place. He uh, used to idolize Todoroki's dad. He loved, um, of course I can never think of anybody's name now at all, but he's a number two hero. Uh, he's a fire guy, what's his name? Endeavor, there we go. He loved Endeavor, he loved Endeavor. And as a little kid, when he finally got to meet Endeavor in person, Endeavor was Endeavor. He was a complete arrogant prick and just like brush this kid off. And of course it broke his heart. And then he meets Todoroki and he's like, ooh, this, you know, I've heard about this kid. Uh, and as they start doing the trials to get into UA, he sees that Todoroki is like really talented. And he's like, oh my gosh, this would be so awesome to be friends with this guy. Imagine how well we do if we work together. And he tries to like befriend Todoroki and Todoroki's being Todoroki, also an arrogant prick at the time. And he's just like, forget everybody. And he leaves UA and goes to a whole other school. And now he's facing off against Todoroki in this uh, licensing exam. And we get that backstory and we get their collision. We see Todoroki in the sky, like just inhibit each other. They're both like trying to win and get their licensing, but they're also trying to show off against each other and just completely losing focus. And of course, it's it's a humbling moment for both of them. So they get to the point where they are losing. They're losing terribly. <laughs> so like any points that they hope to have kept or have gained out the window, but they know they still have to keep trying because that's what her heroes do. Even under the most craziest of circumstances, they're still gonna try. So even though they are bound and like, it looks like they're down for the count after facing off against Orca, they work together finally and they manage to offset Orca just a little bit. So. It was a nice. It was a nice little backstory we got with Todoroki and this this awesome guy. This guy is so over the top, and he's just so aggressively positive. Like he's just he's super excited about a lot of things, and he just happens to be 
crazy powerful. So I love the introduction of this character and uh, everybody getting their licenses. And I also liked that Bakugo and Todoroki both failed the exam. I liked that part as well. They're two of the strongest people at UA High. For the most part, a lot of this has just come super easy to them. Super, super, super easy. And it's always been like them at the forefront. And then we got Midoriya, who's not, I want to say he's last, but he's always like just making it to this top hierarchy of when it comes to like uh, talent in the class or how well this talent is used in class. But in this case, it was kind of flipped. So we see the the growth on Midoriya, like what he's learned, how he's been able to apply them. And that goes to everybody else in UA as well, because it's usually just like those core three all the time. The third top usually fluctuates. Sometimes it's, uh, I know no one's name now, no one's name. But yeah, so sometimes it's another classmate, but usually it's like Midoriya or... Bakugo or Todoroki. Sometimes it's in, it's in Anita. Nope. I know no one's name. I know no one's name. But yeah, sometimes it's another person, but usually it's those two. So I like the flip. I like the flip between Bakugo and Todoroki having to humble themselves and really learn that like it takes more than just being crazy talented to be a hero. So that was cute. I like that too. So we get that. We also got a nice little side bit with All Might talking with all for one, which was scary. All for one is such a creepy, evil, bad guy. Like usually I can handle, especially when we're dealing with the, the type of anime that we're dealing with, which it's, it's lighthearted enough. So it's not going into super dark slice of life type of storytelling, but all for one is just such a creepy, methodical, manipulative character. And you see this conversation going back and forth between All For One and All Might. We see the intent All Might has. He's trying to get information out of All For One about what's gonna go down with his protege, All For One's protege, what else they could expect. And of course that conversation does not go that way at all. All For One is completely in control of the conversation. And I think if anything, All For One got more information out of All Might than the other way around. It looks like All For One has a plan intact. Like there's a whole moment in there where All Might basically comments that it's it's finally done for All For One. He's caught and he can never escape. And he, All For One makes this comment of like, I'll let you think that. Just real creepy, just so creepy. So we know that's not gonna be the last of him. We, this, this person has, this character has been so integral in the plot overall for for, for last three seasons. I really doubt he's just going to be like, and now I'm in jail. And so now I can't do any, I highly doubt it. But this show is awesome. The show is awesome. The story is awesome. I picked up the other mangas for it. They have a nice side story for this universe. And it's about the heroes that are uh, vigilantes, basically. Is it called vigilantes? It might be called vigilantes. But I started reading that one as well. And it was, it's not bad. It's not a bad story. So I'm interested in seeing... What else is going to go on with that? And then real quick, I'm going to jump into Insecure and Pose. So both of those are series that I've picked up while waiting for the fall season to start. But the fall season is going to be starting pretty soon. So excited. So in the meanwhile, though, my, in my brief interlude of not having really anything super geeky to check out, I caught up with Insecure and Pose. Insecure is a series that's on HBO. It is done by the lovely Issa Rae and it is hysterical. I loved her awkward black girl. 
You hear so many people talk about it. It's still on YouTube. If you get the chance to check it out, go check it out. It was comedy gold when it came out. It's still comedy gold. And you see how much she's grown since then in Insecure. I love Insecure because the leads are messes. I'm a sucker for people who are faulty and are trying to learn through those faults. I'm, I love a sucker for that type of story because I just feel like that's real. Like you, no one goes into anything knowing 100% what to do and when to do it with no qualms. That doesn't, that doesn't happen in real life. We all kind of blindly feel around and see what we can do and how what we can achieve things and try to build a semblance of a plan that way. So I like I like that the show kind of touches on that. Plus Issa is just hilarious. The stories and actions that she gets herself into time after time, hysterical and hilarious. And the other characters that we get introduced to are also great. Um, I'm interested to see where she's gonna go from this. So we kind of have like a new start for this main character. Uh, and I told you guys I was gonna give you spoiler, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm just dove right into it. So, yep. So anyway, um, this latest endeavor for Issa's character, she basically is no longer living off of somebody anymore. She used to have nothing. So she went from. So first season was all about her relationship and how it was falling apart. It was dying. It was something that she they but both parties had stuck around and been attached to for too long, for for longer than needed, basically. They both grew into different people. They both had needs and wants that weren't being met by the other person. It resulted in Issa cheating because she makes terrible decisions. But ultimately, her having to be able to follow out that and the consequences with that and then trying to move on into something else. And we see how it's not seamless. It's never a seamless transition trying to get over an ex and try to move on into your, your newness. It doesn't quite work super fast like that. So we see her struggles with that into the second season. Uh, it ends the second season with her on her own. She can't stay in the apartment that she was in or she was sharing with her ex because he's moved out and she can't afford the rent by herself. And she really does not have the funds to get a place on her own. Like that's not gonna happen either. Briefly, the subject comes up about her staying with friends, but all of her friends are like, no, like, like, no, no girl. Like if we don't have to, we're gonna figure out some other things for you, which I also think is real. uh, I've got a friend where I do my other podcast with, shout out to Shay of Shay Sheree's show that I do the People of Culture podcast with. She definitely uh, felt like, especially the bestie, her best friend could have done, Molly, could have done something for Issa, especially in th- with the fact that she had no no roof over her head. But, but I countered it with, she did have something. She had Daniel. So I know from my own experiences, Trying to help a friend, especially in that capacity where, you know, they need somewhere to stay and, and they're, Issa's a flake. She's a flaky bitch. So like, so like there's, there's somebody who's just kind of wilding out and they're not sure about a lot of things. Offering up your own safe space, your own sanctity to do that, to help them out takes a bigger person than me. So I felt her friends being like, you know what, girl, what else can we do? Like, what else can we look into for you? Like, I'm your friend. I'm going to make sure that you're in a safe place. But I'm also not, I'm not rushing to make that safe place my place, you know? 
you know, I love you too much to hate you forever. That kind of thing. So that was going on. But she did. She found a place with Daniel. Daniel was the gentleman that she had this affair with, with the against the other ex. So that was interesting and crazy. And it was a situation where it was, again, totally messy. Like this guy had definite feelings for her. And he let her, he's let her know that he's got definite feelings for her. And she hits him with the, I'm not sure where I'm at right now speech or the, I don't know if we can make this more than just a friends thing type speech. And it just, it gets messier and messier as time goes by. Cause now they're seeing each other on a day-to-day basis. They're seeing each other all the time, whenever they're not at work. He tries to move on and get a girlfriend, which he kind of does, but this girlfriend really doesn't care anything about Daniel. She's just there for the D, so, yeah, no. And he realizes that. And then you got Issa, who like low key is supporting him on a lot of his artistic endeavors, his creative endeavors. But at the same time, she's still flaky and not sure what to do with him. And uh, he's also dealing with his own ish as well. We get to see Daniel just wild out and completely dismiss an opportunity that comes his way that Issa helped to put in place. So we see all of that, but with this latest episode, we finally see her away from the mess. Like she hit her point where she was like, this isn't gonna help me grow into anything by keeping myself where I'm at. So I need to make some changes. So she takes up a job of being a property manager for an apartment complex. This works out in her favor. because She gets really, really cheap rent uh, for a space there. But you know, the catch is that she is a property manager. So if anything goes down, if anything is broken, Whatever is going on with the apartment complex, she's got to stay on top of. So we see that. But she's also kind of meeting somebody new. This new guy that she named Nanceford. Nanceford is hot. Oh my God, this guy is hot. I forgot that he was in Vampire Diaries, but he was. He, He for sure was a Bonnie X. Let's not lie to each other. He was for sure a Bonnie X. Um... But he, they just have like this fun day together where she totally ditches work and gets with and just hangs out with him and almost hooks up with him. And it was it was just really cute. It was really cute to see that go down, get to see his personality a little bit more. He's definitely hiding a whole bunch of secrets. But, you know, she, right now she's vibing with him. She's not looking for anything super serious or anything. So it's working. It's working OK. And then we see Molly's messy ass. I like Molly. I definitely feel like I'm more of an Issa. As flaky and as scatterbrained as Issa is, I feel more Issa than a Molly, which means I'm probably the exact opposite. And I'm more like a Molly than an Issa, but whatever. So with Molly, we see her trying to thrive in her new environment. She spent the first two seasons uh, basically kind of hemming and hawing about what she needs to do with her career. She was working at a, a nice, law firm but it was mostly white and she felt she wasn't getting a lot of opportunity that she wanted in that space and then the second season was all about how she was slowly getting more offers but then she wasn't making the money that she wanted to make and she found out that like all these other partners who had gotten there after her were getting way more money than she had even had ever been at been offered So that prompted her to look around. Molly is a mess too. She got into a whole relationship with a married man. Uh, This married man explained that he was in an open marriage, which 
a lot of questions came up because it was like, is he only, the only one who knows it's an open marriage? Like, <laughs> we don't really see the wife's take on a lot of it. We mainly see Molly's reaction to a lot of stuff. So there were several instances where the, him and Molly would be close and getting together. This is a guy that Molly's known her whole life, basically. And then he would just drop everything to go for his, to go to his wife, to go to his wife and see what she needed to, you know, be with her. And it would hurt Molly time and time again, even though they like had this whole conversation up front about how they weren't expecting anything and yada, 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 open relationship. But then they would do things that clearly cross the boundaries of whatever this open relationship was supposed to be. And that culminated uh, into this third season. Uh, we see Molly, she took, took some time for herself. She went on this vacation, she comes back. And here's Dre with the messiness again. And she realizes that she needs to set boundaries. So she goes to set a boundary and asks for her key back and lets him know that he can't just be popping up in her place whenever. And he completely questions her on it and like chides her for it. So supposedly it ended. We haven't seen Dre for a couple of episodes, but I wouldn't put it past Molly to call him out randomly. So right now it's kind of on pause. But then she gets into her work thing and what Molly is a snob. She's such a snob. So she gets into her new work where she's making the more the, you know, money that she wants to make. It's an all black firm. So she, she's like, I'm so excited. And she gets there and she immediately starts nitpicking all of the things that they're not doing the way she thinks they should be doing it. Like just going in about these little details, how correspondence is delivered, what programs they're using. And they're like, girl, you're doing the most right now. Like, you just got here. Like, how about you learn some stuff? And we go from there. Not only that, but she's also, like, basically burning bridges amongst her coworkers. So she was trying to integrate herself more into the, uh, what is it called? I guess the ecosystem of work, basically. And trying to, you know, it's kind of struggling there because she came up as this terrible snob, or like her first week there. And she kind of befriends these two women in the office. She offers to help them. They're like, girl, we're down. And they make little jokes and they're talking. And then when it comes time to help, she's already made plans to help a bigger partner. So it's a partner that's got more seniority, uh, bigger workload for sure. And she just kind of brushes them off and is like, oh, uh, well, you know, this other thing has come up. And and they hit her with the, oh, okay, we understand. Which all women know is code for a girl... All right, so which which basically just means, listen, we tried to help you out. You turned your back on this offer. We're not gonna get burned again. And it's gonna set a tone. It's gonna set a tone for her whole entire time in the office. So I don't know what she's doing, but so far Insecure has been, has been a highlight for me, especially since power has just been a mess for no reason. That's what that's. That's what's been keeping me afloat. I also binged Pose. I think I talked about this before my break, but maybe I didn't. But anyway, so I binged Pose. When Pose came out, I want to say it was towards almost the beginning of the summer season, if not during the summer season. Uh, but I didn't catch it live. I, I caught it after it had finished its run. Oh my gosh. The tears, the tears that have cried. I love everybody. I love all of the characters. It is such an inspirational show. It really is. Just, I just love everybody. And I want everybody to have happy endings. And I want everybody to get what they want. You become so endeared to these characters. It's ridiculous. The struggle 
and the strife that they have to deal with, the realities of the time period that they're in and who they are is just, ooh, so much, so much. And it's so good. It's so good. I definitely walked away from the show with brand new favorites to stock on all of their socials. So that's definitely happening. I can't wait for the next season. I just, I loved it all. I loved everything. It was so wonderful. So, uh, especially with Angel, the Angel storyline that we got. Okay, so I'm an Evan Peters fan. I am not a stan. Let's get that cleared out the way. Uh, after watching uh, Murder House, which is the first season of the American Horror Story, I was like, yo, this kid is kind of amazing. Like his, he's really good at this wide-eyed, half-ass approach. If that's, does that make sense? I think that should make sense. Basically, he comes across as like this well-meaning idiot. Just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm trying my best and doggone it shucks, I kind of like it, kind of deal. Like it's very endearing and cute and you kind of want to take him by the hand and show him how everything is. But then you realize, oh, that's right, you're a monster. So like he's so in pose. <laughs> he plays this guy who isn't happy. He's not a happy guy. He on the he like he's very concerned with how he optics, with how he looks to the public. And he makes sure to get things in place so that he can achieve whatever this look is, this aesthetic is for public. But because he's doing all of this for everybody else, he's not really doing anything for himself. And in that aspect, he gets super, super sad. And he tries to find an outlet for it. So he gets wind of um some working girls on the docks. Are they on the docks? Are they downtown? They're in some aspect of the city. And uh, he tries something out for the first time, and that is to be with a transgendered woman. And we see Angel. Angel's one of the working girls, and she meets him, and their first time, I just thought that first time that they get together was so real. It was, It was, you know, this time where they're trying to figure things out. I mean, Angel's been down this road, but it's a little different with this guy because he's not coming at her the way other clients would. And then of course, this this slow relationship, working relationship that they've got going on kind of crosses lines and becomes something a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, Angel's being a kept woman in her own apartment, but she's still not, it's not happy. It's not enough for her because she's basically like, a plaything. She's something that's locked away in a closet when he's not using her. And then, you know, gets opened up whenever he decides to to visit. And we see that growth. We see that growth. We see the struggle between Angel and uh-huh, Peter Evans's or Peter Evans. Evans Peter's character. I wanted to root for them. But you you don't. You don't. You want Angel to stay far away from that character because you know he's not going to change. He's going to continue to be a mess. He's going to continue to question everything because he's so concerned with optics. So I really liked that aspect though. I really liked that they brought that in. Not only that, but it was just like female empowerment all over the place, all over the place between Angel and that guy's actual wife. Like you see them step up and realize I need to take the steps to make myself happy because waiting around for this idiot, it's not gonna happen. But that was just one of the storylines. We get so many storylines and they're also wonderful. Uh, House of Evangelista forever. It's just amazing so loved them loved both of those and yeah so that's gonna be it for my little catch-up of shows that i've been watching i'm gonna be jumping into my iron fist review i'm not gonna let's not kid each other it's gonna be full spoilers across the board so right after this
Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. So going into my Iron Fist review and heads up, I'm remembering right now to tell you. I'm going straight into spoilers. I'm going straight into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show and you want to catch up first before we talk about it, pause here catch up come on back let's get into it okay like i've said a lot i hated iron fist season one with a passion i definitely was a supporter for the hashtag aa iron fist and that was this movement to try and get an asian american iron fist into the narrative because the history around iron fist is not great it's uh, not great a lot unfortunately a lot of comics kind of started out this way because you know it was in like the 60s or early 70s where people weren't as pc as they are now so iron fist in case you did not know is marvel's martial arts master one of them because there's another one just so you know um but he he's supposed to be like this magician like okay so i don't haven't read the comic books themselves but i know the lore because oh i was so heated about season one. So I know that Iron Fist started out as basically this white man's answer to Bruce Lee. He wanted to see a white character in the vein of Bruce Lee and he created Iron Fist. And in his story, it is basically a white man savior trope. You've got uh, Danny Rand, who's stupid rich, lands in Kunlun, this mystical land, apparently of just martial arts for some reason. Uh, and basically learns the martial arts, becomes the best of the bestest, and then comes back to regular New York. Takes over Rand Enterprises, helps run all that, and fights crime on the side. He's got mystic powers in his fist. And the, the fist also it confuses me. It's basically a fist that glows and sends shockwaves, basically. Like it, it punches through anything and sends shockwaves. Does it do anything else? Does being the Iron Fist cure you of things? Are you bulletproof if you are Iron Fist? Does it do other stuff? I don't care enough to search this, but I'm sure it means something. So hit me up in the comments or, or if you have the Anchor app, you can send me a message. Let me know uh, if you have an Iron Fist, does it also mean that you're just made of iron yourself? like? What other side benefits are there to being an Iron Fist? So, but basically that's the background for this character. Um, it's steeped in Orientalism. It is just soaked up in it like a sponge. But Marvel was like, we want to try to do Defenders. We want to try to do Street Heroes. They're running comic, which, uh, what is it called? Heroes for Hire, which is Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist does really well. It does really well in the trade. So I'm sure they were like, we'll do this, tap into that audience, introduce them to some new people, get some more people interested in this character. It's going to be a win all around because that's how it's been for a lot of their characters. A lot of these characters, most mainstream audiences have never, ever heard of, get to see them, get to love them. And they kind of add it to their Marvel repertoire type of thing. Uh, Iron Fist was one of the exceptions. So it was Inhumans. And there's a common clause to that. So... 
Uh, Scott Buck, who helped create the series Iron Fist for Netflix, also helped to create Inhumans, both of those flaming trash heaps. Um, but he was not attached to this next season. So at least not in a major way, not in writing, form, or any, or the structure overall. So we get the second season and I'm not going to lie. I was very much like, I am going to hate it. I'm going to hate it. I watched it mostly, well, out of curiosity, but also for my brother. So my younger brother he he liked the first season. He didn't, I mean, he said it wasn't like, you know, the greatest of the shows, but he thought it was okay. And I just was like, oh, it's so, it's just terrible. It's just so terrible. And you don't understand why. Um, but I was like, I will give it a chance. I will give it a chance and check it out and see how well this works for your sake. And he was like, sure, fine. And so we did that. We watched, so I watched the first season or first season, first ep- few episodes with him. I'm not going to lie. The very first thing that stood out to me right when you open it, first episode of the second season, you see a man of Asian ethnicity driving a truck and it's tied. The, the logo on the truck says yin yang wonton. And I'm just like, oh, no, here we go. Here we go. I feel like it was a troll move. I feel like whoever was the showrunner for this second season was like, OK, I know what we're dealing with. A lot of shit. So how about we troll them a little bit and throw this in here and continue on? If that was the indica- if that was the intent, kudos to you. Hand claps to you. Because I definitely was like, oh, Lord, here we go. This season isn't perfect. I finished the season, though. So that's a thing. The season is not perfect, but it is definitely leaps and bounds better than the first season. Oh, God, thankfully. Thankfully. Unfortunately, Finn Jones is still the weakest part of this series. He still is. I feel... I feel like they resolved a lot of things to kind of do, give it like a, a reboot quality by the t- by the end of the season, because it was just a mess that they had to deal with coming into the second season. We've got an Iron Fist that nobody likes. If you've seen the Defenders or even Luke Cage, a lot of the characters spend the time telling Danny to stop his shit, to like realize like his position and his privilege and to get over himself. They say it a lot to him. It gets repeated a lot and it gets repeated in this in his own show now. So I feel like that was Marvel telling the audience, we've heard you. We're not changing him, but we heard you. <laughs> We're gonna do our best to work with what we have was basically what I took from that. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised in some in some of the spaces. Uh, his Finn Jones' fighting has gotten a lot better. On the one hand, it should get better. He has a while to train now. He knows like going at it half-ass is not gonna help anybody. To be fair to Finn Jones though, uh, from all the interviews that he's done, he, he got hired for a part and then just kind of got thrown into it and didn't have a lot of time to learn what he needed to learn, didn't have any background in any of the stuff that he that was going to be required of him. And they knew that going forward and they still used him. So to be fair to Finn Jones, he did kind of get dumped into a situation that was not gonna win for him at all. It was just across the board. And then, he would, and then on top of that, the writing around his character in the first season was just this whiny, whiny brat type writing. But they kind of, they kind of, uh, wrapped it up for that in the second season. We see, I want to say a much more grounded Danny because that's a stretch, but it's definitely a more humble version of him. So 
I'll give him that. I still don't understand why we needed him and Colleen Wing to get together. But by the end of the season, I get my wish. And they are no longer a couple. Because why were they a couple in the first place? But anyway, moving past that, I do like that Colleen got a lot of screen time. She, to me, was the standout star for the show. She really did an amazing job. The actress who plays Colleen Wing did a great job for the season. And I kind of like that we got a lot of story kind of wrapped around her. It got a little corny and a little cheesy how they try to wrap it up at the end, but I appreciated it because it was, it was like, again, if I felt like they were trying to give us a little bit of everything by the end of this season. So we, there were a lot of things where I was just like, why do we need this? I don't understand. A lot of, a lot of the Ward Meacham storyline, I was like, is this integral to the, to the plot? I don't, why are you here? So that mean that, um, but I'm sure if if I had watched all of season one, I would see why he was integral, but I don't care. Uh, also the, uh, other Meacham, Joy, I had a, uh, more questions about her too. They, is she supposed to be an anti-hero? Like what? What? Huh? What? I had more questions around that too. And I love the actress who plays her. I, I really like her work. I just didn't understand what was happening with Joy. But none of that matters because Davos. How ah, Davos. So apparently Davos was in the first season. But like I said, me in the first season. No. Davos in the second season. And they got to expand more on him. I am a sucker. Sucker for a gorgeous guy who's got like this. Oh, I should say character. This gorgeous character who's got like this kind of broken background storyline where like you see how well he'd do if he had just been given like a positive experience growing up. But because he was given such a shitty one, you see why. And they did a really good job to me of humanizing Davos. I thought they did a really good job with that. Like you see the expectations that were set up for him growing up as a kid in Kunlun. Like unlike Danny, he didn't just land in Kunlun. He's like a generational person from Kunlun. He's like the latest generation. And you see the expectations that are put on him by his mother. And she is unforgiving. She's unforgiving as shit. So he's already dealing with all of that pressure to meet his mom. And then on top of that, he's faced with the stigma of being been by, beaten by an outsider, which I like that they added that to the storyline because Danny is an outsider. So it is a big deal that he's in here and is just winning at everything. And people are just like, oh, wait, we, what? Huh? So I like that they added that as well, that we get this uh, perception from Davos, even though he's the villain. But that just like, you just showed up out of nowhere and you took all the things. Like, what? What? So I like that. I like that we got that. I also like that when Davos got his ability, he was, I mean, it was going to be different than Danny's, but because he is so sure of his right to this ability, it worked for him. Like, basically, you know, when you get the Iron Fist, the way they've set it up anyway, that I gleaned from the second season is that, you know, when Danny first got the Iron Fist, he was still trying to figure out how to navigate with it, how to really work it and whatnot. Uh, someone was telling me, or I should say, I read in a thread on Twitter, they were t- comparing it to the Iron Fist from the first season. Apparently there was a scene where Danny was seeing archive footage of an older Iron Fist who was just beating people up in like World War One or Two, 
Maybe. But he had both fists that were lit up. And then Danny can only light up one. But then when Davos gets it, he immediately can light up two. And it's just like, oh, interesting. He was crazy. Davos is a monster. He's crazy. He's like, we need to purge the city. I don't know why we automatically need to just start murdering people. Or why they automatically claim New York. Like, he's like, well, I'm here. So this is the city I'm going to clean up. Like, this just immediately is like, let's murder all the people. So he definitely went off the deep end. But I like that they... In an effort to clean up all of the arrogance that was happening in the first season for Iron Fist, they related it to the power. So they talked about how having this Iron Fist or the heart, the heart of the dragon, I guess, it imbues you with this sensibility that you are indestructible. And that's what kind of leads to your arrogance. And they they kind of touched on that a lot. Like this is how it was with Danny. And by stripping Danny of his ability, we were able to see Danny just as Danny, which I liked. I liked getting to know this Danny Rand, who's way more humble and and not afraid to tell you that he's still trying to figure it out. I appreciated that. I also love that kick-ass ending. So all the reviews I was reading, they were like, if you know, the second season is definitely better than the first season. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not even really great, but... It's definitely better than the first season. And apparently it just was so worth it to get that finale. So everybody kept harping on the finale. Again, I have not read the comics. So I'm watching the rest of the season. We get to that finale. And the finale for me, it was okay. It was okay. I mean, you could see it was coming. And they basically told you it was coming. Like by the, I want to say the third episode from the finale. Because there's only 10 episodes, thankfully. Not a 13 set, a 10 set. Uh, we basically say, we hear Danny tell Colleen he wants her to be the Iron Fist. He tells her that up front. And she's not going to turn it away. She's hemming and hawing. And I guess they were trying to build. I don't know if they were trying to build on the fact that it, it's not a secure thing that she'll be the Iron Fist. Or if they were trying to show further proof as to why she would make a great Iron Fist. Is the fact that she's like, ooh, I don't know that I'd be uncorruptible with this. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, so. Like a Lord of the Rings style, type type of style of like, you know, when they have the one ring and Frodo is like blaming, oh, what is his name? Viggo Morton's character. And it's just like, you're gonna take the ring? You're gonna try and kill us like your friend? And Viggo Morton's like, he takes the ring and he's like, nah, I can't trust myself with it because I know I will do some stupid shit so you can hold on to this. Like basically, that is a paraphrase. But basically that's what happens. And it shocks Frodo because he's kind of like, ah, oh, okay. Because even Frodo can't really turn away from the ring another story but that's kind of what i got about this iron fist thing is like it takes it claims this part of you and so you know the fact that colleen was trying to be so level head level-headed about harnessing this ability it was like oh this is why she should be it so when she finally gets it and we have the fight scenes were good we had great fight scenes in this season which were thank oh thank goodness um, but I like the showdown between her and Davos and that struggle for the ability. And then them kind of leaving it open. I mean, I think, yeah, she finished, she finished the whole transfer so that she could gain the ability. And then at the very end, we see her use it. Her fist lights up white because she's calling wing. And if you read any of the comics, that is her go-to color. Um, but I didn't understand why we had this tie-in to... Chinese history so a lot of questions so they touch on the pirate queen so there was a real pirate queen back in the day she I want to say she was Chinese let me 
Let me make sure I'm saying the right stuff here. Hold on. But um, basically, uh, Colleen's mother told her a story about a princess and a pirate, and this princess was in love with a pirate, but then she had to murder the pirate, and then she took over the pirate. A lot of things were happening all at one time. So I was mad confused as to why this was happening. But that story, that that lore that they were sampling is Chinese lore. That's, a Ch- that's Chinese lore. Colleen Wing is supposed to be Japanese, so... There's that. And then, um, not only that, but they don't really harp on the fact that she's of samurai lineage. So, more questions. She talks about how her grandfather helped to raise her. Her dad basically dropped her off after her mom died or disappeared. Something. And she just lived with her grandparents. And her grandfather was the one who helped to train her. And that the samurai sword she carries is his. In the comics. She is Japanese and white, and she comes from a samurai lineage, the whole thing. But they don't really touch on that in this second season. I highly doubt they touched on it in the first season. But then they also tie in this Chinese pirate story and say that she's related, she's a descendant of that woman. And they also tie it into Kunlun. So I guess they were like, ooh. We'll just make it part of this made-up country. <laughs> just, so it's going to be fine if we just mix and mash all of these Asian cultures. So, I mean, it's the show is not without its problems. Definitely. Also, like, the very, very end. So we get the Colleen gets the Iron Fist bit. And then we have Danny taking off to... I, I don't even understand why he's leaving. So he's leaving New York entirely. And is going to Asia, like the continent, not a, not a place anywhere, not a not a country, Asia. So, and then he takes Ward with him, and then we get this cutaway scene of them and in some bar somewhere. I'm sure they tell us, but I, I don't care. And uh, they're having a whole face down with somebody. They're trying to figure out how. Uh, there's a whole part in the series where Davos figured out how to get the body of an old Iron Fist so he could transfer this ability. I don't know why. They, they kind of explain why you need the body, but I don't know. So all of that, all of that happens. They're basically trying to track down the guy who shipped the body to Davos in the first place, apparently. And we get a whole scene with Danny and he's got guns and <laughs> both his fists light up. I'm confused. Does Iron Fist also wield guns now? I have a thousand questions. He does a whole scene where he pulls guns out of his pocket and then he cross shoots them and the bullets come out and cancel the other bullet that was coming towards him. So this other, the bad guy had another gun that he was shooting. I didn't understand why we needed this scene. I'm sure it's steep in comic book lore. So I'm definitely going to be re- researching it. Also hit me up if you know what that scene was about at all if you watched it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand when we needed that. I don't understand when we needed that, but you know. So if I had to rate Iron Fist on a scale of five stars, I'd I'd give it three. I'd give it three. A solid three. It was an average attempt. It was a great cleanup from the negative review that I would have given the first season. Uh, I it, it did have a rebootish quality. So now we've got. Danny and Colleen, not as a couple, which I definitely was rooting for that. Uh, we also have Colleen more secure in her own ability to fight. So that's great because I would love a Daughters of the Dragon situation. We keep hinting at it. Simone Missick killed it with her role as Misty when she was in the show. I think that's what saved it for me. Simone Missick as Misty Knight, kicking ass and breaking down full on doors. 
it was it was so great when she was there oh it was so wonderful when she was there and I'm not gonna lie I know that Misty and Danny have romantic history in the comics but the Danny that we've got right now does not deserve Misty (laughs) Misty Knight right now I don't even think he deserves her in the third season so uh, I'll be interested to see how this works. I'm also interested to see how this works with the Disney streaming service that's supposed to be kicking off. I don't I think it's supposed to be kicking off in 2019-ish because they're going to be pulling all their stuff from Netflix. I think they've stated that that does not include the the street heroes that they've got going on right now. But... Because, I mean, it's darker and it's definitely not under Disney brand to have all this cussing and bloodshed. But... I wouldn't put it past them to try to incorporate it because DC is doing a streaming service and they're incorporating everything into this one thing. So uh, I'd be interested to see the f- in the future how they're going to navigate this. But uh, but yeah, so Iron Fist season two, not as terrible as I thought. Actually pretty enjoyable in some spots because I actually finished the season. Wasn't bad. The storytelling was, well, it was okay. One of the biggest takeaways for me was the fact that there were so many nameless Asian villains that they plowed through. There were so many mafia characters or just like criminals of some sort, all of whom were Asian and all who were just perishing all over the place with no name. We got we got like maybe two or three who got names and who weren't evil entirely, but it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. And yes, we have Colleen. But really, we just, we only, the one? Okay. Anyway. And also Ying Yang Wonton. I think I'm going to name that as the episode. It's going to be called Ying Yang Wonton. Why? Why? So I'm hoping eventually we will get a Shang-Chi. So that's another character. Oh, is his name Shang-Chi? I might be lying to you. Or is it Shu Lao? Oh, it is something. It is something, but um, yeah, I would like to see him. Oh, yeah, Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi. I would love to see Shang-Chi come up in here. So he also is a basic, he well, not basic, but martial artist. And so depending on who you talk to, he also came out in the 70s. Depending on who you talk to, he might be better than Iron Fist. I would not mind him popping up in Iron Fist at all. I would love to see him just kind of walk by or even in Daredevil. If you don't want to put too much martial arts in the same episode, yeah, I would see, I would love to see him in Daredevil or even Jessica Jones, like him just pop up. Please, please. One day, one day we'll get it. We'll get it one day. So yeah, so yeah, it wasn't terrible. Like knock your head against the wall, terrible. It wasn't fantastic. It was somewhere in between. But still, but still decent. It was still better than the very low bar it had started out with. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what else we get. Um, I don't know if there's going to be more more series after this because we already got a Luke Cage season two. Daredevil would be next because we haven't had another season from him. It'd be his third season. Um, there's also Punisher, but I haven't heard anything about a season two for Punisher yet. So. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, fall, so like I said, fall season is coming up. I'm excited to see some of my favorites return. I'm definitely looking out for The Gifted, surprisingly. I really liked what they did with the first season. 
I'm still really annoyed that the main characters are these two white kids who are just really whiny and privileged. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a thing. I mean, it's fun to see them get knocked on their ass. So there's a lot of times in the show where you see how like unprepared they are for the realities of the real world because they just live so sheltered and everything. But also, I don't like that they're, they fall under that, like, that trope of, we just showed the hell up and we are the most powerful ever, bitches. And then they're out. So not a fan of that. But, uh, you know, it's it's okay. It's okay. So I'm, I kind of want to see where the second season is going to go with that. Um, what else is coming back? There's going to be a new show on sci-fi that's coming out that looks interesting. It's also based on a comic. It's got Lana Condor on it. And she is, uh, if you remember her, she was, on, she was Jubilee in the latest X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse, which was also a garbage fire. But... We love Lana. She was also in um, All the Boys That I've Loved Before, the Netflix rom-com that was amazing. That was beautiful. And I love it. So I've seen it like five times and I'm probably going to watch it again because it's just so cute. So, uh, but she's going to be in a sci-fi series. And I want to say it looks very X-Men-esque. It's like a bunch of kids who know how to fight. I don't know if there's superpowers involved or what, but it's based off a comic series. So I'm definitely gonna be checking that out. Uh, and we've got a reboot for Charmed. I'm interested to see how that's gonna work uh, with this reboot. They've done, it's all women of color now instead of three white women. So that's interesting. But if you remember Charmed, it was, it was campy as hell. It was, it was for its time. So I'm very interested to see what they're gonna do now they've kind of rocked it so far i love supergirl even though that started on a totally different network but i still love supergirl even as messy as the last season was uh and flash is still again flash the last season was terrible but it's still enjoyable black lightning was amazing i loved black lightning i don't watch arrow anymore i just don't understand it it's basically batman light uh and i love legends of tomorrow so they kind of kill it on the rest of their tv series so so I'm not going to, I'm definitely going to check it out and see where it goes. Um, we're also getting, uh, what is it called? Something Midnight, right? Now I got to look it up. But basically uh, the Charlene Harris book, I can't even spell her name, Charlene. Uh, there we go. Midnight Texas. Yeah, that's what it's called. So Midnight Texas is coming back in October as well. So that was a summer show that dropped last year. So summer 2017. We were supposed to get another season of it, but they moved it to the fall season instead of the summer season. So, I mean, on the one hand, that's good. That's prime time. We're going to get more episodes. Um, but on the other hand, how dare you make us wait? How dare you? So... But that's coming back. So Midnight Texas is coming back. Uh, American Horror Story, like I said, they're doing a mashup of Coven and Murder House. I can't wait. Coven was my absolute favorite season for American Horror Story. I love me a story about witches. Not gonna lie. And the fact that we got a black witch, shout out to Gabby. All the greater. Wonderful. They even tied into uh, Voodoo um, because everything was based in New Orleans. Okay, so I don't practice voodoo, but... And I don't, I don't know how well represented it was, but I loved Angela Bassett's Marie Laveau. I loved her and the flaws in that girl. The only thing I really didn't like was the fallout for the people who practiced voodoo. 
in the show because they basically all got murdered. They were all murdered with the exception of Gabby. And Gabby, what they kept t- separating her and talking about how she was a witch. It's like she's not, she's she's not she's not a practitioner of voodoo. She's a witch, even though her nickname was Voodoo Doll because the way her abilities worked. But questions abound. So I'm interested to see how how they're going to tie in witchery with murder house and ghosts and how that's all going to work. So excited but that's coming out too so can't wait for that and just more just more geeky shows that are going to be hitting pretty soon all the dc tv shows are going to be coming through in october everything else is going to be dropping excited excited and can't wait aquaman is is aquaman coming out soon or is that in march now i'm gonna more searching more searching to see when aquaman the movie comes out i really want to get hyped for aquaman the movie because Jason Momoa is in it, Polynesian power, that chi who he shouts during Justice League is what makes me love Justice League so much. Justice League is not a great, <laughs> it's not a great movie. It isn't, it isn't a good movie. It's so messy and just all over the place. And I'm sorry, but Ben Affleck as Batman is dumb. I am not a fan. So I don't like all of the Ben Afflickness in this movie. But I love Jason Momoa and the fact that he sh- brought this Hawaiian shout into the film, into the film. I was so elated. And the fact that um, he made his Aquaman Polynesian, like the the dad they hired, they casted to play his human father for the movie is a Polynesian actor. And I was just, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited that all of that is happening but I want the movie to be good. Please be good, movie. Please be good. Don't be like the rest of the DC films. So, we'll see. We'll see what's going on with that. And uh, when is the movie supposed to be coming out, guys? That's what you're supposed to tell me. December. Oh, that says United Kingdom. What? Am I going to have to fight people? I would fight people. When is this happening? Everybody. So, oh, wait. As I struggle, as I struggle with my Googling here and trying to talk at the same time, it is not. Oh, the Black Manta. That is, that's also the thing that's kind of making me uh, a little nervous. So there's a character in there called Black Manta. I do not read the Aquaman comics. I only know what I've read online. Black Manta is supposed to be his super villain. Black Manta is literally a black man in a Manta outfit. So... You know, you know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, comics. Uh, I'm not a fan that the only black character uh, in the storyline is going to be evil. That sucks a lot. But, no, no, but that sucks a lot. That sucks a lot. And then when you, the the backstory I've read about Black Manta, like you kind of side with him. So I'm hoping they're going to take some notes from Black Panther and make this villain somebody you can definitely understand and almost side with. And then realize that the actions or the way they're going about it is wrong, but that their overall sentiment, kind of right. So I'm hoping they do that, but that might be hoping for too much because it's DC. So, you know, you know, but I'm hoping. So apparently it's coming out in December. Please be good. Please be, please be good. Please, please be good. And that's it. That's pretty much going to wrap it up. I'm going to see what other shows and stuff are going to be popping off. Ooh, I'll have a recap for American Horror Story, though, by the time we come back next week. And hopefully some other stuff. I'm still debating on purchasing the DC streaming service. That kicks off in 
October. October, I think, or September. No, on Batman Day, September. It's one of these. I'll figure it out. I'm still debating on whether not to purchase because I'm not that big of a DC fan. I mean, I like Young Justice, which is definitely something that's coming back. I love Teen Titans, but the Teen Titans from the 2000s, not the Teen Titans Go that's happening now. Teen Titans Go is funny. It's funny as heck and meta as shit. Um... But it's not it's not the Teen Titans I fell in love with, which was the ones in the 2000s. So they are they're not are, supposedly they're bringing back the animated series, supposedly. But I'm wondering how that's going to work because they also have a show called Titans that's basically Teen Titans but live action. And then they're going to have another show with one of the core characters from Teen Titans who's not going to be in their other show. It's already a mess. It already sounds messy. Is it going to be worth it? I watched the trailer for Titans. I was not impressed. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But that's going to wrap it up for us. (laughs) For me. For us. Yes, me and myself here for Kirby Giggy Fangirl podcast as it is. If you guys want to leave me a comment or anything, you can hit me up on my email. My Kirby, it's curvygeekyfangirl at gmail.com. Like I said, my website and everything else, curvygeekyfangirl.com. Web, or Twitter, Instagram is curvygeekyfangirl. Um, yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty, that's it. That's all I can think of right now. I'm still doing articles for Fanbros. So Fanbros has changed their name to For All Nerds, and they give a great explanation as to why that's going on. Long story short, Fan bros itself has some negative connotations because there's a lot of broisms that they had to battle and explain that they're not a part of. So they changed it to For All Nerds. And if you've been a longtime listener of them, you know that fan stands for For All Nerds. So not that big of a leap, not that big of a change, but that's what they're doing now. So I wrote, I've got some articles out, uh, still under the fan bros header. So that you'll see my articles there, but I've also, as soon as they launch their new website for four all nerds, I'll have some articles there too, for you guys to check out. So definitely check those out as well. And, uh, I'm going to try and be a little more active in my Insta stuff and in my Twitter life. So you might see some stuff popping up there. You might see some Instagram stories pop up, definitely some new posts and get some of these fandom fashions out. So we'll see. We'll see how everything works. Even though it is September, I still rock school time. So for me, this is the start of a new, new year-ish, new, new, newness. This is the start for newness for me. So we'll see. We'll see how everything goes. Uh, But I will be back next week with all of these feelings yet again. And I will talk to you guys then. Have a great week. Bye.